Welcome everybody back to another episode of the A-Game Podcast. I'm your host Aiden O'Neill as always coming to you live on a Monday morning in Phoenix. Been beautiful here. All my friends back home they're dealing with the stuff in California so prayers up to everyone. My family they're doing okay but the storms there have been crazy. In the sporting world tons to talk about Super Bowl week. It is upon us. I'm going to break down my predictions who I think is going to succeed And then we got college basketball. There were so many big games. We had three big-time games on Saturday afternoon. Going to talk about all those, what the AP polls looking like. Then we're going to talk a little bit of NBA. The trade deadline is only three days away. Going to break all that down, all the players on the block, where I think they'll end up. And then anything else we want to hit on, always, it's a blast. Coming to you live, the A-Game. Super Bowl Sunday, six days away in Las Vegas, Nevada, the Kansas City Chiefs, the dynasty that is upon us, taking on the San Francisco 49ers who were trying to overwrite their postseason drought, just not being able to get over the hump since the 1990s. This is going to be an amazing matchup. Everybody analyzing this matchup, they wanted the Ravens and the Lions in it but it just didn't work out that way. It seems that the two best teams are now on the biggest stage, and this game is going to be amazing. First, let's talk about Kansas City. Who do the Chiefs have? Well, they have the best quarterback in the league, a top three quarterback ever in Patrick Mahomes. He's still so young, still so much to prove. Isaiah Pacheco, one thing that's different about this Kansas City Chiefs team than the Kansas City Chiefs teams that have succeeded in the past is that running game. Isaiah Pacheco is an elite level running back. I'd say a top 12 running back in the league if we're ranking maybe even higher. And his ability to rush the ball is going to be a difference maker in this game. The Niners, they've struggled a ton against Jameer Gibbs, David Montgomery, Aaron Jones so far in the playoffs. So I expect Isaiah Pacheco to have a massive game. Obviously, Travis Kelsey's the storyline, him and Taylor Swift, but As a player, Travis Kelsey is arguably the greatest tight end ever. And even with Patrick Mahomes having the lack of wide receivers on the Chiefs roster, he still dominates because with Andy Reid's play calling, his skill set, and Travis Kelsey's brilliance, they still could be very, very effective. Looking at the receiver room, Marquez Valdez-Scantlin, Justin Watson, Kadarius Toney, who's been out with a supposed injury, but it's really just been the Chiefs not wanting to play him in those big moments. We've seen McCole Hardman, when he gets into that big opportunity, he ends up fumbling. He almost cost the Chiefs a couple of games so far this season. So for the Niners defense, they're going to look to shut down Travis Kelsey, shut down Isaiah Pacheco, and get blitzes on Patrick Mahomes to make his job difficult. Because if you put the ball into the other playmaker's hands, you're going to end up winning this game. Another difference maker for this Chiefs team regarding past years is this team's defense is absolutely elite. Patrick Mahomes in his six years or whatever it has been in the league has not had a defense this good. It is flat out elite. I think of George Carflitis. I think of Trent McDuffie. I think of Nick Bolton. I could go down the list. It is an all pro caliber defense. It's going to be the best defense the Niners have played so far in the playoffs. And Brock Purdy is going to have to be really good. So that's kind of the breakdown for the Kansas City Chiefs. They're here for a reason. It was more of an underwhelming regular season overall. They didn't dominate by any means, 
But then they get to the playoffs, been there, done that. There were question marks as far as how does Patrick Mahomes look when he goes on the road because we hadn't seen him prior to these games win a road playoff game or even go on the road in the playoffs and he still dominated and he showed why he's one of the greatest of all time. But Kansas City going into this offseason, they're going to try to address that wide receiver room and I think this game will determine a whole lot. If you're Andy Reid in that front office and you win this Super Bowl, you go into the offseason kind of like, well, if we get a receiver, it's just luxury on top of already a back-to-back Super Bowl winning team. If they lose this year, they know now we got to go get the missing piece, a Mike Evans, a T. Higgins, whatever it may be. But Kansas City in an amazing position to just keep on winning. And man, it's just going to be a great contest. Looking at the Niners side of the ball, Brock Purdy. Brock, second year in the league, Mr. Irrelevant, last pick in the draft, and he's dominated. He is an elite level quarterback. You know, you scroll through your phone every day and you see the criticism for Brock. He's a system quarterback. He doesn't make these big throws. I'm telling you right now, put on the film, go watch this guy's footwork, the throws he makes. He is flat out special. He's going to be a top 10 quarterback in the league if he ends up winning this Super Bowl. Right now, I think he's fringe. And a lot of Niner fans make him out to be, you know, so, so good, like the best QB in the league. I'm going to slow down with those claims, but he is elite. Then you look at the the backfield. I think of the Chiefs, 27th in DVOA, an advanced statistic measuring defense defensive efficiency against the rush. 27th, that's bottom five in the league. And they're going against Christian McCaffrey, who's the best running back in the league. That, to me... Seems like a scheme that is going to work super well for San Francisco. Looking back on the Baltimore Ravens this past week, they went, they made Lamar more of a pocket passer for no reason. I was shocked. Yeah, you had the spy on Lamar Jackson the whole time to prevent him from scrambling and getting those big rushing plays, but there really was no explanation to not just pound the running game. Gus Edwards, he could have had a huge game if he wanted to, but... They put Lamar in tough situations because of the inability to run the football. If I'm Kyle Shanahan, and if I'm looking at this Niners game plan going into this big game, it's going to be establish the run with CMC, make Brock's life easy. He's only going to throw the ball 18 to 20 times, and CMC, if he has a game, is going to be the Super Bowl MVP. It's really that simple. You look across the roster, Debo Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, George Kittle, The offensive line is very, very mediocre, but you have Trent Williams, so he's kind of that safety net. Jawan Jennings, as a wide receiver three, has been remarkable. So the offense is the best you're going to get. It's extremely high-powered. I hit on the Chiefs' defense, but this offense is the best in the league. So they're going to establish it with CMC and Debo on the ground. Brock's going to make those throws. Looking at the defense, well, on paper, this defense is so special. You've got the best linebacking core in the league with Fred Warner and Dre Greenlaw. That duo cannot be beat. That's two top 10 linebackers, Fred being the best. Then you look at the front line. You have Nick Bosa, Javon Hargrave, Javon Kinlaw might even end up playing over Chase Young, who has been seen with some lack of effort, frankly. This is going to be a battle in the trenches. It's going to be who can rush the ball the best. But an issue the Niners dealt with was a lack of effort and a lack of stopping the running game. Even though the team's good on paper, it hasn't looked good in the playoffs. And I don't have the same trust that I did in this team's defense as I did earlier in the season. Just flat out. This team 
right now is a lot more offensive oriented where they need the offense to have a big game to have a miraculous 17 point second half comeback like they did in the NFC championship. With all that being said, you're probably asking me, Aiden, who do you think is going to win? Well, if I were to give you a prediction, it seems to me that all the stars align for the San Francisco 49ers to win this football game. You look at a team who's so efficient on offense, the defense when it's at its best is amazing, a team who lost in the 2020 Super Bowl, 2019-2020 season, to the Kansas City Chiefs. It's a revenge game. It's in Las Vegas. The lights are bright. They've tried to get over the hump so many years, just failing to do so. And the Chiefs, I feel like just looking at the team as a whole, them losing this game makes a lot of sense because then in the offseason, they address that wide receiver room. So if I were to give you a prediction, I think this game is so close. The Niners win and nail biter by three points. Let's go 30 to 27, San Francisco, and they get their first championship since the 1990s. So that would be my prediction. I really do think it could go both ways. This is a very balanced matchup and the spread reflects it. Vegas believes that this game also is going to be tight. So I see both sides. Seeing a lot of people pick Kansas City, though. Got to give respect to the San Francisco team. They beat every single playoff team in the NFC at some point this season. They win those big games. Kyle Shanahan, his question mark was, can he come back from a deficit? He did that last week. So they've kind of wrote everybody off, and I still don't think they've played their best game so far this season. I think we're still waiting to see that. You can say the same on the Chiefs' side. They still have a lot to prove. So we'll see what happens. But I'm going to go Niners 30, Chiefs 27. That's all I got so far on the NFL. One more thing I want to talk about regarding other teams. Cliff Kingsbury, this whole debacle that has gone on, he was going to become the next offensive coordinator for the Las Vegas Raiders, join Antonio Pierce, but now he's going to the Washington Commanders after some contract negotiations kind of fell apart, and he's going to join that new regime with Dan Quinn. Hit on it a little bit on the Instagram story if you guys are keeping up with that, but it's interesting. This now feels like Caleb Williams, who's a Washington, D.C. native, is a lock to become the next Washington Commanders starting quarterback. Obviously, we knew they were going to take a QB, but we didn't know if Chicago was going to take Caleb at the 1-1 spot. But looking at it, I don't think Chicago is going to trade the 1-1, but I think they're going to end up taking Marvin Harrison Jr. It's all pointing to that right now. I've read reports that they don't want to trade that pick, but I also have read that Caleb doesn't want to go to Chicago, so why would they waste you know, a pick on a guy who doesn't want to play there? It makes sense to get Marvin Harrison Jr. You keep riding it out with Justin Fields because, frankly, this team has a lot more to fix than just the starting quarterback. And I always find that an issue. Yes, it starts with the QB and building that sort of foundation, but this team isn't a quarterback away by any means. The offensive line is atrocious. The playmakers are very iffy. You have DJ Moore, who's kind of hit or miss. Darnell Mooney's been mediocre over the past couple of seasons, and then nobody else. The defense is good. Yes, they made some big-time trades. Montez Sweat was amazing coming over last year. So they're not a quarterback away, but I think they need to just keep on building. And Justin Fields really could be that guy. I'm high on him. You know, I don't think he is the best pocket passer in the world, but his ability with the legs is with the likes of Lamar Jackson. He's elite in that department. So I see Marvin Harrison Jr. going 1-1, and then 
at two. It would just make too much sense. Kingsbury also coached Mr. Williams at USC, and you know he has experience developing these quarterbacks. He was with Kyler Murray in Arizona, Patrick Mahomes in college. So all signs pointing Caleb Williams at pick two to the Washington Commanders. Another Commanders quarterback on that roster, Sam Howell. I've been high on. You guys have heard me talk about him before. I really do believe that he could be a starting quarterback on a team in this league. He just needs another chance. But things just didn't work out in Washington. And I don't think Ron Rivera, who's a defensive mind and that sort of head coach, really helped him over there. Obviously, Eric Bieniemy is an, an elite offensive coordinator, but his time there just simply didn't work out. I could see him going back to Kansas City. You know, a lot of still coordinator switch up that we're going to see but as of now it's Kingsbury to Washington they also brought in the former Cowboys uh, DC or whatever he was not the DC but he assisted Dan Quinn he'll be the new defensive coordinator of the Washington Commanders so there's familiarity I like what they're building I hate the Dan Quinn hire I talked about that on my Instagram I think it's terrible uh, just this guy's just not that good of a head coach when you blow a game when you're playing the seven-seed Packers, and there's never been a seven-seed in NFL history to beat a two-seed or win a playoff game, frankly, and you get 40-pieced, they put up 48 points in Jerry's world, I don't know how you get a head coaching job. I know it's one game, but how does that, if you're Washington, be like, that's the guy we want, especially when Mike Vrabel and Bill Belichick are yet to be hired? Yes, Ben Johnson with the Detroit Lions says, I'm going to stay here more of a comfortable job, you know, not a ton of pressure, but all in all, this hire just didn't make any sense, but at least you get the coordinators right. Cliff Kingsbury, he's kind of hit or miss as well. You know, sometimes Cliff is elite and you saw that with Kyler in Arizona, but sometimes he gets ran out of his job because of how bad the record is and how bad, you know, the team is as a whole. But as a coordinator, that's his specialty and he's going to try to thrive on that in Washington. So that's really all for the NFL. Well, after the Super Bowl, we'll have a ton more. Obviously, the Pro Bowl happened, which really nobody watches, but uh, the skills challenges are fun. So that's all I got in the NFL. Moving on to college hoops. It's that time of season, a month away from the madness. I cannot wait to put it simply. What games we had this weekend. It was just elite contests throughout I'm thinking of Duke and North Carolina what a battle that was thinking about those teams this season this is the most balanced they have been in the past 15 years arguably and going into that game it was really hard to pick a winner and I was just siding with UNC because they were the home team and they came out on top by nine points 93 to 84 on Duke side of the ball Jared freaking McCain this guy, a freshman out of Centennial and being from California, watched him a ton. Obviously, you guys know his social media presence. He is a very special college player. He's an amazing shooter, one of the best shooters in the entire country. The pace he plays with, keeping defenders on his hip, always being in control, all that stuff just shines for me. He was 9 for 18 from the field, 20 points, 11 assists. It was just sheer dominance. Honestly, and then when you have the rest of those guys, Filipowski and, you know, McCain is their most consistent scorer, but Jeremy Roach, he also had 20. It was a good performance from Duke, but the thing that they were lacking was the bench production. Caleb Foster, 
who out of Notre Dame, another California guy, a lot of expectations going into this season. He only had four points off the bench, only played 19 minutes. McCain, he's eating the workload. 38 minutes, 23 and 11 is just amazing. And being one of the best rebounding guards in the country at only six foot three also just shows how hard of a worker he is. So keep an eye out for Jared McCain. This guy, I, I've given a player comp for him before. It's Seth Curry. If we're looking at an NBA player comp, Seth Curry and Jared McCain are eerily, eerily similar. I even think Jared's a better defender and could carve out a more successful NBA career. But from a sheer player standpoint, they're so similar. On UNC's side, Armando Baycott feels like he's in his eighth year in college basketball, but he is that prototypical big man who has good moves in the post, who can just dominate the game. He had a double-double, 25 and 10. Ingram had 21 and 13. RJ Davis was 17. And their bench produ production, not a ton either, but that's something you see with these top-tier teams. They kind of just play six and roll with it, but the rivalry goes to the Tar Heels this time around, and this team could win the championship once again, looking at other games around the league, my biggest sleeper in the country, I'm going to come out or come on here and say it right now, Iowa State. I think this team is a lock for the Sweet 16. They could go deep to the Elite Eight. I love the way their roster is assembled. They dropped a close one to Baylor, who I also really like, by two points. Looking at, you know, Iowa State, Gilbert is the star. Kashawn Gilbert out of St. Louis, he's a stud. 14 points a game, 47% from the field. In this one, he had 24, really solid performance. But Baylor, they just had a balanced scoring attack overall. Were just really consistent throughout the course of the game. Dennis had 18, none with 16, Bridges with 14. And we know Baylor teams, they always defend. They defended at a high level, got a big win at home. But Iowa State, the Cyclones, keep an eye on this group. I really do think they could be an Elite Eight Final Four maybe sleeper. We always kind of get that team. You know, it was Kansas State last year. You can just think back to college basketball in general. There's always that kind of sleeper group that comes out of nowhere. I think it's going to be Iowa State this season. Another big game, Tennessee and Kentucky. One of my favorite players in the country is Dalton Connect, the Northern Colorado transfer standing at six foot six. He is amazing. He is a senior. He's going to be in the NBA one day. With this week draft class coming up, which I'll talk about on a later date, Dalton Connect could be a lottery pick, and you just wouldn't see that in prior seasons. But his ability to score on all three levels, defend, he's strong at the rim, love his game. Every single volunteer in this one had double figures. James was the leading scorer with 26. Him and Zeigler, they both had 26 points. Just ridiculous. And then on the Kentucky side of the ball, Rob Dillingham off the bench had 35 on 14 for 20 shooting. Rob Dillingham projected to be a top five pick in next year's NBA draft. I'm not really high on him as a draft prospect. I'll be honest. I could see him being one of those prototypical busts who's very skilled in college, but then their game just doesn't translate to the NBA. But what a performance it was with 35. Reeves, who's one of the most solid seniors in the country, 19 and a half a game, 50% from the field. He had 21. And then Shepard. Reed Shepard is just a dog. 53% from the field. He's a freshman from London, Kentucky. So he's a hometown boy, 16 points, but it just wasn't enough. Calipari's team goes down to the Volunteers, they get a huge win. They're going to be really good. I don't see them going to the Final Four, even though they're the five seed. Another team, 
while I'm concluding this college basketball talk, I'm talking so fast, but Auburn, I've always loved Bruce Pearl coach teams because they defend and they're hungry. And, you know, if they get the, the right matchup in the tournament, I really could also see them going far. So if I were to give you two sleepers on February 5th, I would say Iowa State and Auburn. The metrics love them kind of, but they're more just defensive oriented. It's not really, you know, a Kempom team that's kind of soaring. But both of these teams are very special. Another team, St. Mary's. They beat Gonzaga in one of the most storied rivalries in college basketball. Well, one that is more underrated in the WCC. Not a lot of people give them recognition, but they're two programs that are consistent at the top. St. Mary's this year is better, and I think they could also go on a deep tournament run. Hitting on Kempom, Kempom, you know, the college basketball ranking system that a ton of analysts use, they always just love St. Mary's because St. Mary's is known for shooting the ball well, defending well, moving the ball well, and just kind of playing good college basketball that results in winning. St. Mary's, arguably the best team they've had in a few years this season because they brought back Dukas, they brought back, you know, Saxon, and then you have Ada Mahaney, who's the star sophomore who can score, who probably will be an NBA player one day. Augustus Marcellonis now stepping in that starting lineup. Love what St. Mary's is bringing, but them going to Spokane and getting that win makes me think that Gonzaga is going to go to Moraga and get a win on the road. It might just be that type of uh, season series this season. So that's all on college basketball. I'll drop some rankings later today just to give you guys another look, but no UConn is great. They got a big win. So many other teams to talk about. Kansas and Hunter Dickinson, they beat number four Houston. So tons to break down, and I can't wait to bring it to you all. Now I'm going to talk a little bit of Major League Baseball. We're only a month out of the season. I feel like we're a month away from everything, from March Madness, from Major League Baseball, and still so many top free agents haven't signed. We still have Jordan Montgomery, Blake Snell, Matt Chapman, the list goes on, Cody Bellinger. There's so many guys still to go, and this is an anomaly. This isn't something you normally see in the realm of the offseason because usually, guys, they want to get that contract out of the way early, but the Shohei talks, they kind of delayed everything. He ended up signing with the Dodgers. Then it was like, oh, once he's off the board, Yamamoto goes, it's going to start flying, but it just didn't, and now it's a waiting game to see when everybody signs. One thing to note, the San Francisco Giants, who have missed out on all of these premier free agents, they traded Ross Striplin a few days ago for uh, Jonah Cox, I believe, who's an Oral Roberts former. He was in the minors last year, but he's a solid player from Oral Roberts, had a historic hitting streak there, played in some big games, but the prospect doesn't mean anything. It was the salary dump that gave the Giants $40 million under what they were in last year from a salary cap perspective. And as a very, you know, I think they're top five in the league in organizational value, you expect them to spend a a lot more money than they did this past season. So if I were to predict 40 million under, and they honestly should go over, they're going to get an elite player. And I I really do expect them to get an elite pitcher. I think they're going to get either Snell or Montgomery now. Because that's what that move signifies to me. Striplin was the slated number two starter. Obviously, Kyle Harrison 
might have taken over that job, you know, moving forward. But going into the season, Ross Stripling was the number two, and now you don't even have that guy. You expect to go get an ace caliber pitcher to pair with Webb. Now, if they don't go that route, it's going to be Matt Chapman, who I still think is going to go to the Giants regardless, and then pair him with like a Michael Lorenzen, who could be a, a three in the rotation, or a guy like Mike Clevenger, something like that. But very interesting move for the Giants. Another team kind of waiting, the Toronto Blue Jays. We're expecting them to make a big move. I, I would love a Jorge Soler over there, um, you know, something of a power bat. Speaking of, of shows, um, you know, my friend Shay and I, we got this new uh, podcast called The Moneyballers. You guys should tune in. But we've talked a lot of MLB and just kind of the analytics going into it. And I'll share the link. But there's just so much that still needs to be decided. And the agents like Scott Boris, they're just jacking the price up. We saw Blake Snell's asking price is in the $270 million range, which frankly is just outrageous. Blake Snell, when he's out his best, he's Cy Young. But when he's not his best, he's not elite at all. And I don't know if a team will be willing to spend that sort of money on a player of his caliber. But with the waiting game, it's hard to even assess rosters at this point. If I were to give you you know, a contender, my World Series championship favorite at the moment is the Houston Astros. I come on here a lot and say that. But this team, from an organizational standpoint, we take out the whole cheating scandal that happened. It is one of the most well-run organizations from top to bottom in the entire major leagues, in all of sports, frankly, because their prospects are pretty solid. The MLB team is always elite. It's always top five. They make deep playoff runs. They've made, what is it, six consecutive ALCSs. New coach over there now. No more Dusty Baker, so that'll be a kind of a learning curve. But they added Josh Hader. That bullpen's filthy. Love what the roster brings. And the Texas Rangers, we kind of have them penciled in to get Jordan Montgomery back, but say they don't. Obviously, a lot of their pitchers are kind of banged up right now. You get DeGrom, Scherzer, Maley, all them back, or Tyler Malley, I should say, all back. You'll be just fine. But at the moment, there are some question marks. We'll see what happens. This team, they could still, you know, really succeed this season, but um, a lot still to figure out. The Seattle Mariners, they added Jorge Polanco in a trade, brought back Mitch Hanniger in another trade with the Giants, so they've kind of been bouncing around moves. There's a lot of these AL teams that are trying to just stay in contention, but a lot of moves on the way. I would expect most of these premier free agents to not sign until free agent has started. I really do. I think they've held out this long. I don't see stuff really changing in the next couple of weeks. I think spring training is going to start, and then they're going to make their decision. So we were hoping for stuff before February. I was hoping for stuff before Christmas, and it has just been so overdrawn and so delayed. And frankly, I think it's bad for the game. I do. When you look at other sports like NBA free agency, it goes over a certain span that's very short, keeps the fan interested. But when you're trying to build a game like baseball, at least for the American audience, it's known as boring and football's better and basketball's better. You need to maximize on a time like free agency where a guy like Shohei Otani signs big. And I don't believe that they did so. So I, I think they need to improve in that regard. And now, you know, there's not really a lot to talk about for baseball. Whereas if all those free agents already happened, we would be able to make roster predictions and, and whatnot. So definitely something to keep in mind, but I'm really excited for the season. I think 2024 baseball is just going to be amazing. There's so many storylines. It's always just a blast to talk about. So I can't wait to break it all down with you all and just continue to push out content. One other thing to hit on, 
big interview coming up soon. I'm going to keep it under wraps. Not going to talk about it just yet, but there is a lot coming soon for this podcast. Another thing with spring training coming up, I'm going to be trying to do some prospect interviews while I'm out there at the fields watching games um, and just try to break that all down. I'm really excited um, to just, you know, watch these young players go to work and, you know, not, not so stressful environments, but everyone's trying to earn a job and continue to keep it rolling. So we'll see what happens. I'm going to talk a little NBA right now. Trade deadline coming up. What do teams need to do in order to get over the hump as contenders? Well, if you guys looked at my Instagram, I made a contenders, pretenders, whatever you want to call it, section by section breakdown of all the teams in the league. And in the tier one, in the contenders, I had the Boston Celtics, the Minnesota Timberwolves, the Denver Nuggets, the LA Clippers, the Phoenix Suns, the Milwaukee Bucks, the Philadelphia 76ers. Now, if Joel Embiid, and you guys heard about this, didn't post a ton about it, but Joel Embiid, arthroscopic meniscus surgery, I believe, and it wasn't, you know, severe meniscus surgery, but it's something subtle where he's going to miss a significant period of time, and he's not going to qualify for the MVP anymore. So, for the most valuable player, I want everybody to make it Shea Gilgis Alexander. That is the most valuable player in the league. What he's able to do, two-way ability, defend guards on the other team, average 35-5 and five on 50% shooting on a top three team in the Western Conference. That is the definition of an MVP. And if they give it to Jokic this year, I will be frustrated as a journalist and as someone covering this sport because Shea just deserves it more. He's been available he hasn't been hurt at all just consistently up there every single game and how do you get better than 31 and I'm looking at the numbers now 31 5 and 6 arguably 31 5 and 7 if you're rounding up on 55 percent from the field on a team in the western conference that is number one currently that is the most valuable player you take them off that team with all those young guys they're nothing they're nothing so I really want Shea to win this award. He should win the award. But right now, it looks like the Riders are leaning Jokic. Back to Embiid. If he's out for an extended period of time, I really do believe Philadelphia can be crossed off of this list of contenders because he's that big of a deal. Yes, we know about his playoff struggles, but he's the engine of that offense in Philadelphia. There really are nothing without that guy. Tyrese Maxey, yes, he's a star point guard in the East. We know that. But if you put Tyrese with Paul Reed at the five instead... He's not going to be as effective. Milwaukee Bucks. I'm worried about them with their defense. Obviously, they got rid of Adrian Griffin and brought in Doc Rivers. That alone just makes me concerned. I don't believe they can win a championship with Doc Rivers because he constantly blows teams' chances in the playoffs. It feels like it's an every-year thing, and they signed him to a big contract. Just didn't understand that. Phoenix is legit. Keep an eye out for them. The Clippers are more than legit. They're 25-5 and in their last 30. It's as good as it's going to get. And I have to admit my wrongdoing. As you all know, I thought that this trade for James Harden, the one that got them where they are right now, was terrible because I saw what he did in Brooklyn with KD and Kyrie in a ball-dominant system, and it just didn't work out at all, at all. But Russell Westbrook's selflessness and his ability to say, I'm going to come off the bench, has changed everything with this team. That is the reason that they're good. I, it's, it is James Harden, and he's averaging crazy numbers over the past 30. But Russell Westbrook, if he didn't say, you know, I he knows he's a star in this league, and he has been for a while, but 
if he didn't say, I'm willing to come off the bench, this wouldn't have worked out at all. So that is why they are succeeded. Minnesota's more than legit. Get ready. Denver Nuggets, they're so legit. And then the Boston Celtics, they're also elite. So all of them, like if the Celtics don't win the championship this year, I feel like it's a failure with how they're built. Kristaps Porzingis was the missing link. When he's in there, it's 20 and 10 every night. Jason Tatum's arguably a top 10 player in the league. He's fringed there. So it's amazing. I don't though, and you might call me crazy. I don't think the Oklahoma City Thunder are a championship contender. I don't. This This team to me feels like, a second round exit ceiling and that might sound insane but I don't see a young team like this going into a ruckus environment on the road and getting a big win when they need to I just don't see it and Shea has to be perfect every night for this team to succeed he hasn't played in those big games consistently so second round exit ceiling for me is what it is now I would love for them to just kind of ride it out this year, experiment, and then in the offseason with all their picks, they're going to have some cap space, go and get a big-time player, like a LeBron James sort of thing. And with all those rumors swirling, people were suspecting he might get traded. It's not looking like that anymore. But um, OKC needs a player like that in order to really be in in championship contender form. Um, and then the Cleveland Cavaliers, I also believe they're a playoff lock. Love what Donovan Mitchell's been doing. Miami Heat, they're going to get there eventually. And Jimmy Butler's probably going to go crazy. Jaime Hawkes on that Heat team, a guy that I didn't expect to really succeed in the NBA, has been dominating. And then other teams that need to add, the Los Angeles Lakers. I mean, Jared Vanderbilt, he's going to be out for the season after he suffered an Achilles injury against Boston a week ago. Um you just need to not be complacent, and especially for a team like the Lakers, LeBron and Anthony Davis, two top 10 players in the league. That's the best possible duo you're really going to get. And then from there, you just need to kind of build a roster that can shoot. I've always said like a buddy healed would be a perfect fit for this team. But Palenka, he's got more of a defensive strategy, and you know Austin Reeves has been amazing. D'Angelo Russell's very inconsistent, but when he's at his best, he's great too. So a lot to figure out there. The Golden State Warriors, I, I don't think they need to trade any for anybody. The issues they're having right now kind of need to be fixed internally. Steph Curry, he's just carrying the load. Klay Thompson, he needs to step up. Andrew Wiggins, he needs to step up. Draymond's been great since he's been coming back. Kaminga's been amazing. Trace Jackson Davis deserves more minutes. So all these things need to be fixed internally for Golden State rather than going to get a guy. I don't think that would solve anything. I'm going to be honest. Um, But yeah, the NBA trade deadline, three days away. Can't wait to see the big moves coming. It is going to be exciting. As far as the rest of the sporting world goes, not a ton else. 2026 World Cup final that is announced that it will be held at MetLife Stadium in New Jersey. So that's pretty exciting and yeah you know i'm just going to continue to stay up to date with everything going on keep you guys updated and i want to thank you all for tuning in to the a game podcast had a pleasure talking to you on this beautiful monday morning hope you guys have a great rest of your week and continue to follow on all platforms keep the ship afloat thank you all have a great week